0: Hello and welcome. It's your Managing Madrid podcast for this week. Um, this is Gabe Lesra, your host. It's the end of July. Real Madrid are in Miami. I have a screwed up throat, and I'm speaking with uh, Om Arvin. So basically, everything's going great. <laughs> Having <no> a regular <laughs> one. <laughs> Om, how are you, man?
1: I'm doing good, and and just like last time, we have just tons
0: to talk about. Yeah, you know, it's true. We so really should get rumors. into the news. <laughs> I literally like look at been following the news all week and just like talking to people who who know a little bit more about what's going on and there's just no one has anything to say. (laughs) It's like the biggest stories in the press are about how like uh, Madrid had an electrical storm in their first week in my first practice in Miami and like that's it. (laughs) Yeah, we're just we're just sitting around waiting for preseason to start
1: and I guess for some transfers to happen. I guess. um, Yeah. Speaking of which, the one notable piece of news was the Deo to Real Sociedad rumor.
0: Yeah, and if I saw your take online correctly, I think we probably have basically the same feeling, which is that uh, it does it makes some sense in that he's just you know, sending them out to get starting minutes, but it also doesn't make as much sense because he's one of those players that actually did get substantial minutes last season uh, and was a really important—even if people didn't love having him— and didn't love the way he played, he still was getting important minutes and progressing as a as an important backup to Marcelo, who is not a perfect picture of health, especially getting into his 30s.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was one that puzzled me a little bit because I would have thought that now is the perfect time for, for Theo to, to start getting even more minutes. Marcelo's yeah. 30 years old. I think um, this is the transition period, and we'd want – Deo to start performing at a higher level more consistently starting now yeah um but i guess i mean i don't think the loan will be bad for him for him i think it'll actually be really good because i think he can quickly assert himself as a starter within the side but i don't know if it makes that much sense for real madrid and i'm guessing nacho is going to be the backup now there was some rumors that we're going to get alex tell tez Te- 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 i don't know how to pronounce it um but that would be weird if we signed another left back who's 25 years old which you know and then we'd have what three left backs competing so I mean I don't think that rumor was totally credible but if it is that would probably mean Marcelo is moving on after this season um
0: but I can't, yeah I can't allow that emotionally <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love Marcelo too much. I refuse um, to believe that that is happening. And he doesn't look like he's had any like downgrade in his form. I mean, he's like, he just turned 30, I think, right? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I think. He's not actually that old. He's just yeah, been here forever.
1: Even Dani Alves, has, he's still playing at a pretty high level, and he's like 33, 34. So I, I think Marcelo's got a, a couple more really good seasons in him. If he was to move, it would have to be you know, pushed on his part, because I don't think the club is, you know, you know, going to try to push him out or anything like that.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm just a little bit, uh, I mean, this whole thing is like kind of surprising to (laughs) me, to be honest, like just, uh, just the way that this transfer season is gone. Like I get the market and all that stuff. And I understand that Madrid are kind of keeping their powder dry a little bit. Um, But to be honest, like, this transfer this transfer window you would expect it to be a little bit more hot and it's been surprisingly uh surprisingly cool now that could change obviously but it does seem like you know people saw the last the way that transfers have gone over the last year and just kind of began constructing contracts to um that would make it so that it's much harder to have that happen and you know have these big uh buyouts happen have these you know uh you know big big releases happen and I any mean, I think you have to look at the way that Barcelona did transfers and, and ask yourself a little bit whether that's a they got value for money too. And so maybe teams are looking around and seeing these inflated value valuations of players and thinking, Well, if that's what the market is, then I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my powder dry until players can force their way out because they're in the last year of a contract.
1: Yeah, I mean something could still happen for sure, but it is kind of telling that we haven't had any, I mean, the rumors have died down almost completely in a period when they normally be at their highest speaking, just in turn in relation to Real Madrid, because there's only a couple of weeks left for, you know, the, the transfer window, or I think for Spain, it might be a little longer, but once the premier league window closes, you know, it, everything else starts to kind of shut down. So, this is when you expect the most rumors, right? And for things to start being slightly more accurate. But the fact that there's nothing there makes me think that at, if it's not plan A, then at least plan B Real Madrid is is actually completely fine. Yeah. You know, with the signings that they made, which is Odrio Zola and, 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 and that's it. They're gone. I mean, the only – what puzzles me – is Courtois like was supposed to be on the verge of signing like what a week ago? It was like a couple hours, and that hasn't happened, so that's curious. That but strange. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he still gets wrapped up. There might have been some slight issue, but otherwise, I, I'm I, I don't really think we're looking at you know offensive options because of of you know the I, there was there was the one rumor like a week and a half ago about Cavani and how he would be well under a hundred million, but his wages would be around like $14 million a year, which would make him second highest. Behind. Yeah. And I think we're looking at that and saying, nah,
0: you know what, we're, we're okay. The wage structure um, is I, complex there, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't think a lot of fans are going to be very happy about that. I mean, I personally would still love Stryker to come in, but I would not at all be surprised if no one comes in. And I still think fans are just holding on to this idea that someone is going to come and – it would be it would be shocking because you would think this this would be the time Perez opens out that checkbook with no Zidane be. holding it back.
0: But he might be. I mean, that, that's still possible. It's just it's possible also that the the Spanish papers really just have no yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, of no contacts.
1: They've missed a couple, you know, a couple of things that you know they had no idea about Zidane. You know, there, there's a couple of things in the past that they didn't really have a hold of. The Spanish papers lost a lot of their credibility a long time ago.
0: Yeah, and the the it's possible that they're just trying to play their cards really close to the chest because they want, you know, Madrid is kind of worried because they've built in release clauses to some of their younger players and all this stuff, and they actually, I mean, Madrid is a squad that has been designed for exactly this moment, so it's possible they also just feel like this is actually okay, they're okay with this squad. Now, I actually don't hate that, if that's what they're thinking, but... I, I do think that it would be smart to try to bring in at least a stopgap striker, but if not, I kind of understand saying, "Hey, look, we're going to try to make a go of it. We we've been building the squad with like some of the most promising young talent in Europe, uh, and we are going to turn it over to them and just hope and see where that goes." And Vinicius, for example, is actually from, from all accounts has looked quite good in uh, in in training. So, yeah, and on, on that point, there was an article
1: that just came out by Ray Hamill um, at finer margins on Twitter. And he, he was writing about the squad structure for real Barca and Atleti and essentially to show that Barca's core and, and, and the, the players, cause he had, he had like an axis of percentage of minutes played and then on the Y axis and then on the X axis, he had current age yeah. and for Barcelona, all their core players, which would be the people that played the highest percentage of minutes, almost all of them were 30 or older. And then for Real Madrid, there was a much neater distribution. Obviously, you had Ronaldo, Ramos, Modric, you know, Benzema, Marcelo had a lot of minutes, but you also had Bale, I think, who's still only 28. You had Kroos, Carvajal, Casemiro, Varan, Isco with a ton of minutes. And then Asensio who is still really, really young, and he had this, like, kind of, like, peak age. He had this red bar going for peak age that was between, like, 24 to 30, which is kind of, like, the, the agreed-upon kind of range. And we had a ton of players within that red and also a ton of players um, outside of it on the young side. We had Asensio, we had Kovacic, we, we had Llorente. So, like you said, this is something we're making up, right? Like, actually go down and you plot the the age, you know, for our players, the minutes played we have prepared well for this moment. It's really just that one question about goal scoring that we need to solve, and that's it. And if you think about it that way, then you have to feel pretty proud about the way we prepared for this moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, the dance that Madrid has done with Ronaldo over the last couple seasons, every every offseason, it felt like... Not like he would leave, but just like this is something that all that the Madrid fans and the Madrid board and the Madrid like management structure seem to have planned for. Unlike uh, the way that Barcelona has kind of structured their team, right, which is uh, a a aging roster that has been you know whipped into very good shape around you know uh, Lionel Messi, who has been incredible. But if Messi were to start, you know complaining and, and decide that he wanted out, then this Barcelona team is, I think, in way, way worse shape than than Real Madrid is with that Ronaldo. Yeah, I think... I mean, there's obviously still time for Barcelona to make the
1: right signings. I think Malcolm was an interesting signing. I mean, it, it almost seems like they're giving up on Dembele, but
0: yes, it's, it's
1: not It's not like this is a disaster. But if, you, if, if Messi were to leave now, I... Unless Real Madrid has another crazy season like 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 the one they had last year, I think we're taking the league. It's it's I just I just think once Messi leaves that team or or seriously yeah. declines, it's 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 going to be tough for Barcelona fans. Um, I mean, obviously things can change, but the way the pattern I've seen from this Barcelona board, it doesn't seem like they have you know targeted signings. It's not like they're I don't think they're considering the wage structure. I don't think they're considering you know the the axis between percentage of minutes played and age and how that plays out it just seems like you know they're looking at talents and they're just going out and and, and splurging money and
0: yeah
1: when you have messi it, it's all going to kind of come together but once that centerpiece leaves i i really don't know
0: yeah, I don't know what the post Messi future looks like really there. And it it used to look a little bit more bright because of Neymar, but now it's it's much more up in the air, I think. And you know, this is it's an interesting question, I think, uh but it's not one that Barcelona has to figure out right now because Messi you know, Messi's not going anywhere for, you know, at least a, a, another couple of years. So, uh, maybe that it's it's a down the road problem for them and they're just looking <clears throat> at this window as sort of their time to to make that climb back i mean like it's not like they've been bad yeah <laughs> but it's also like they've they've seen their eternal rivals do a champions league three-peat which is not like the least pleasant thing you can imagine i think and despite winning the double this season the fact that they they lost uh hilariously to lose their in, uh, invincible season it means that <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the madrid window still and this is the madrid um Era still, <laughs> that, I still think that's really funny because if Barcelona <laughs> had managed to win that and and win out that season, uh then th- there have been legitimate questions about like, you know, is you know is this the season where Barcelona was like, uh, in indubitably and unquestionably better than Madrid? And yeah, sure, maybe there are, but everyone's going to look back on that year as the year that Madrid did the threepeat. So. I mean if they'd gotten invincible then maybe <laughs> maybe they wouldn't feel that way but that's unfortunately for them that's just how that that's going to be remembered. Uh so I figure we just I mean there's not that much I don't want to tax my voice and like you're all patient listen listening to my very un- unpleasant voice <laughs> uh too much so I'm just going to jump into your questions because we have a fair number of them here. Uh and I'm a surprise. I just want to say uh shout out to all of you for coming through with questions. Um I in a week where there really just is nothing to talk about. So <laughs> you've you've provided us with a good uh a good sort of outline of, of topics to cover because it's um it's pretty barren, I gotta tell you, it's pretty barren. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's just go. Um, Leon Stabernakis uh, asks us, um, has, has Ohm uh, always been a big uh, J-Lo, Julian Lopetegui fan? Ohm, have you always been a big fan of his?
1: No, I can't say I have, mainly because I hadn't. I didn't really know who he was until he became the Spain manager. He's not someone who I was tracking. Um, and at the moment, I'm not so sure how I'm supposed to feel. I mean, I talked about this in a couple of podcasts in the past basically about how how are we supposed to judge you know football on the international stage and, and try to apply that to the club stage but I think as I've had time to think about it I I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic I'm firmly in that camp because he would be the first coach in a long long time and I think I may be talking over a decade to really implement rigorous offensive structure. And I think he might be the first coach we have ever had to to implement juego de posición. And I'm just thinking the relationship he 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 brings from the Spanish team with players like Isco Asensio that can only be positive, whether it turns out to be this amazing thing or something that's you know just kind of there. So I when when I think about it in this way, and 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 he's gonna bring bring a style of football that I enjoy very much and that he seems to have the respect of everyone in the squad. I think there's 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 decent reasons to be optimistic because talking to Portuguese journalists because the last time Lopetegui was managing club football it was in Portugal with Porto and talking to Portuguese journalists they told me his main problem isn't tactics is that he's not really a powerful personality in the dressing room and that eventually he lost control of the dressing room and some of the the bigger egos decided they didn't want to listen to him anymore and based on what we know now i don't think that's necessarily going to be a problem because if you look at all the big characters in the dressing room he has a good relationship you know with them from the spanish national team and i'm assuming that's going to continue un- un- unless something really nasty happens so yeah, I mean, again, I'm not I saying agree with that. I'm not saying we're just gonna go out and win the treble and it's just gonna be the greatest ever. but tactically, i I think we are going to see an improvement in a way we haven't seen for a long while. and I think I think that's exciting and i I, I, I could not tell you not to be cautiously optimistic because I think that is the right mindset to have going in, having you know analyze all the variables and considered this for a while.
0: So, we have a number of our patrons who have asked us this exact question. So, I just want to just quickly go into a talk about Lopetegi because so everyone should just a quick, quick aside. If you, um, uh, uh, if you toss us a couple dollars on our Patreon, it's slash managing madrid. If you toss us um, a few dollars, Uh, You get access, $3, you get access to our patron-only weekday shows, and you also, uh, if you uh, throw us $5 uh, a week or more, we will answer your question every single time on every show that we do. Um, That is the deal. So we have a number of other questions um, from our patrons about this exact topic. Um, I think we just – I just read both of them. Um, I Asahariri has a very, very, I think, comprehensive question. He says, um, do you think the following players fit Lopetegui's possession-style football um, that requires players to have multiple roles, be very good passers, especially vertical ones, and be press-resistant? Uh, the players he mentions are Casemiro. He says he is not the best distributor of the ball like Busquets. Uh, even though he was confident him uh in Porto. Uh, I think Kovacic could be better for his system than Casemiro. Um, what do you think? So,
1: so this is very interesting because this is one of the things that excites me because it is true that Julian Lopetegui really, really liked Casemiro when he was at Porto. And Casemiro played in a slightly different manner than he does here. He did have more ball distribution duties <sighs> He was a little more box-to-box. He, he in general, had a more expanded offensive role. And that's why when I thought coming into Real Madrid, I did not identify him having weaknesses on the ball. It only took, you know, half, three-quarters of the season for me to see, oh, wait, there's these problems here that I didn't know really existed beforehand. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think a, a, a little bit has to do with the jump from the Portuguese league to the Spanish league. Like when you move into the top five leagues, it, it, it's a higher standard of football. It's quicker. The spaces are tighter. And I think Casemiro just in 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 a lesser league is 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 obviously good enough to 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 have expanded role on the ball. But I also think it didn't help that Zidane kept trying to hide Casemiro from the ball, and play him in this weird pseudo-10 position that that really didn't suit him. So I think something that's a possibility is we will see Casemiro improve on the ball and and start receiving deeper and playing the ball into Modric and Kroos, who are positioned higher up the pitch, which is something we really haven't seen for the past two to three seasons. I don't know if his press resistance is necessarily going to improve, but personally, I think... Casemiro's ball distribution is going to improve because of the role he'll be given and also because of the team structure that will exist around him. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be the optimal thing, but I, I do think it's going it to be yeah. as it were before.
0: that um, excites me a little bit. The other player he mentions is... Um, Gareth Bale he says his idea ideal style of play is counterattacking and not playing in tight spaces. I think Hazard is superior to Bale in that sense.
1: I mean I think Hazard is superior to pretty much every other player besides Messi and Neymar in that sense. Um but I think Bale kind of banished the idea that he can't play yeah. in in uh, a a you know, multiple systems you know, a long time ago. I mean, the 15-16 the season improved a ton in tight spaces. I mean, it's not like under Zidane we were playing counterattacking football every other game. I mean, yeah. we, we were, I think our highest possession figures, you know, over the past seven, eight years came under Zidane, and, and Bale's numbers were extremely good. I, I don't think he's going to struggle at all. Um, I think he's going to provide, actually provide Lopetegui with a more direct faster option than than what he he didn't have in the Spanish side and I think Lopetegui is really going to make use of that. I mean I, I think I think this is something we need to clarify because in 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 Juego de Posicion systems it doesn't only require like isco type players, right? When Pep Guardiola you know plays Juego de Posicion, he had Pedro as a key part of his Barcelona team, you know, out on the right flank. You know, Alexis Sanchez was a big part of his team. It, at Bayern Munich, Douglas Costa was a huge, huge, huge piece in his side. And at Manchester City, he has Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling. So, you know, these kind of pacey, more direct wingers are something that can be really beneficial because when you create an overload on one side of the pitch, you can quickly switch the ball into a one-versus-one situation, you know, in in a fast transition kind of situation. And that that, that is really beneficial and is something that is actually really useful. Yeah, yeah. Types of systems that Lopetegui and Pep Guardiola enjoy. I think that's just something people need to realize because I don't think Bale's going to come in and and just not be able to play. I think I think if he stays fit, he's potentially going to thrive in a system like this.
0: I agree. I could I could very much see Bale producing a um uh, a possible Ballon d'Or caliber level when he's when he's fit. Should he stay fit for the season? Like if Bale plays let's say 90% of the games which i think is a bit much but it's possible um i could see him producing uh, not cristiano numbers exactly but definitely something in some very very high figures of goals and assists and bringing offering a fair amount on defense too i i and you know i just i think he's um i think he's been waiting for this moment <laughs> and uh and when he's been released um and really released to play in this the, the kind of areas of the pitch and, and style that he is, that he likes. And, and that's like to take over these games. He can, he can really be one of these top few players in the world. And we'll see. I think, I think we'll see how he, you know, if he can stay healthy, I think that's the bail we're going to see this season. Um, uh, yeah, it's fucking fingers crossed. Everyone should buy your Ouija boards, whatever the fuck you have, like, <laughs> dead cat rabbit's feet. I don't know. These traditions, uh, they're dumb, but, you know, at this point, we'll take anything. <laughs> uh, Navas, he also mentions, that is not very good with his feet. I I don't – I I mean, I'm not even sure we're going to have Kehler Navas as the starting keeper this season, but if he is, I don't think it's going to be that much of a problem.
1: And, I mean – in my opinion, Courtois is actually worse with his feet than Navas is. I think Navas has actually shown considerable considerable improvement under Zidane because Zidane does like to play out from the back from goalkeeper, you know, to to cross who drops deep in possession. Um, it, I wouldn't. It's not perfect, but I. Yeah. I think Who would if he would prefer prefer Novacek's ball playing abilities to Courtois, but you know it's it's still a rare kind of a rare thing in goalkeepers. I mean, if you if you count the ones that are actually elite, you're talking Neuer, Ederson, Allison, and I honestly can't think of you know many more. I mean, De Gea is pretty good with his feet, but I wouldn't call him elite. And five, you know, four or five seasons ago, people thought De Gea was was really really good. So I mean, the standard is changing quickly. We haven't yet seen the full transition. I think, like ten years from now, I think basically all keepers are going to be like Alisson
0: or, or Ederson. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Nish Katiwada um, also as about Lebetege. Just what is just? I think you've heard a fair amount of this question, Nish. So I'm just gonna probably move on right after this. But he said, "What are his tactics, style of play, and does it suit Real Madrid?" Um, I think Om, we've already discussed this a fair amount, but um, I think you would say it's it's uh, at least he's tried to implement Juego de Posición, and we'll, we assume that he'll, he'll try to bring that style to Real Madrid. Do you want to give a quick uh, Juego de Posición 101? Yeah, <laughs> I'll try. Like a 30-second, one-minute version.
1: I'll try. I'll say right right beforehand that this is something you should Google because it is kind of a complex thing. But essentially, it's when you divide the pitch into you know five vertical zones— and you structure your team in possession to create overloads, situational overloads within the by by using those zones, so you can constantly circulate the ball and shift the shift shift the op- opposition from side to side and work your way up the pitch. And it's something that Pep Guardiola's used. Um, it, it has a lot of applications. Jurgen Klopp actually uses that style, but it's totally different than what Pep does. I mean, it is among tacticians there's kind of a consensus that this is the best strategy of the future and it's the way really talented young coaches are going forward um so I encourage you guys to check that out if you don't know what it is it, it's becoming an increasingly important tactical concept and even coaches who don't use it completely are starting to implement pieces of it within their system because it's starting to become really really important in modern football
0: yeah uh that's a really good one-on-one, um, and I think the the most interesting question is uh, just the end of this. How, how I think you Nish, you say how would he success, uh, How would he success or succeed? I guess after the Zidane era, I think the more interesting question is how do you define success after the Zidane era? And that I think is the question that all Real Madrid fans are going to have to ask themselves um, because yeah. what does success look like? After Madrid has just done back to back to back Champions Leagues, like this, this is a really important question. Uh, and you have to ask yourself that. I can't give you that answer. I will tell you that what my what success it, looks like for me is a uh, I think making a deep run or solid run in the Champions League, not getting embarrassed exactly, uh, and then ideally winning one of the domestic trophies. I think that would be that's a successful season. And like a a bad season it is no you know not even really challenging for the title or the or any of the other trophies. I think that's a very bad season. Um, but I think that it's possible that, like, even if Madrid loses the title by one point, not winning the title will be a problem. If, But I think that the the basic, like, frame that I'm seeing from a lot of people is that La Liga is sort of the, the expectation this season, that they're going to try to create a team that plays strong offensive football on the back of some of these young players, and uh, that team, they're hoping will compete for La Liga. And... uh you know, if Madrid can get to the final and win the Champions League, that would be insane. Um, but at this point, the fourth Champions League in a row is, it's kind of like, it's a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, a lot to expect. <laughs> uh, so, I, I i mean, just, I'm okay with the idea that this is a team that, you know, kind of focuses on developing these young players and, and bringing and, and beginning to build the team around them. And if that means that they, they, you know, kind of crash out of the Champions League early, if they can still challenge for the other two trophies, then I'm, I think that's, for me, that's what success is. But I think a lot of people are going to have different visions of that. So this is the, like one of the most important questions for going into the season is exactly how you personally define success and what you think a successful season is. Because I don't think anyone's going to be able to tell you, you know, uh, what in like what July or, you know, yeah, sure, like in, in June or May of 2019, if we're looking back at this and thinking to ourselves, like, uh, you know what a failure or what a success or yeah that was okay whatever like I don't know if we're gonna be able to even predict how we're gonna feel about that because I think different you know league and different things can happen that lead to a situation right where where you're gonna feel a different ways so if Madrid blew a fifteen point La Liga lead that they had in December and ended up losing La Liga by one point I think a lot of people would look at that as a failure. But if they came back from down 15 to lose the Liga by one point again, I think that a lot of people will look at that as much more successful. <laughs> uh, and it'll depend a little bit on how they do it um, and how they go about winning and and what the team I think what the play looks like. But I think everyone should ask themselves that and be prepared to defend yourself when someone says, "Why do you think that?" Uh, <laughs> and I don't. I know there are going to be people who are like, "Well, you're." you know, being under uh, ambitious, like for Madrid, anything less than like, you know, the all three titles is bad. Well, no, it's not. So, I mean, like I, I just, I think you need to just calm down a little bit with those expectations that personally, but uh, all right, here's um, two kind of strange questions about um, the same player that I want to go into right now, which I, I don't know. Uh, Anthony Lombardi says, um, Hey guys, what do you make of the Harry Kane rumors?" Um, Don Ballon reported that Flo uh, is planning a trip to London to work out a 215 million euro bid for the Englishman. What is the feasibility of this report? How trustworthy is this outlet? Um, and then Sajid Reyes, um asks us, I know that the number one priority for you uh, guys is to sign a striker, and while I agree with you on this, don't you think highly overpriced option like Harry Kane is counterproductive? Why? I don't, I don't know why. I don't think right, either of us asked- think that. All right. So, I mean, I
1: think he's asking why we wouldn't think that. And then
0: oh, I see. And then he
1: has that explanation right. for why he thinks that below. Uh, uh,
0: I think. All right. Anyway, so let's just go into Harry. Apparently, there are Harry uh, Kane rumors. This okay, week First, old. I just want to say that that rumor is BS. Like, no, I mean, uh, it might not be. It might. I, I actually don't see why it wouldn't happen. Like, that, I'll, I have a number. Well, first of all, D- Don Ballon, I don't think, is a necessarily
1: trustworthy outlet um There's and like, two yeah. and two kane just signed a contract extension and i don't with spurs making signing far i highly 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 doubt they're going to let kane go and i we haven't heard anything from kane's side saying that he, he's unsettled, he wants to meet, leave. Yeah. I mean, nothing like Aiden Hazard has come out and said, like, everyone dreams of playing at Real Madrid. I mean, Kane kind of said this before. Like, he said this in seasons past, that, you know, I kind of dream at playing at the Bernabeu
0: someday, and we haven't heard a peep out of him this summer. So I would be shocked. If, I have just no idea about that aspect of it. But the the notion that Florentino would bid um, and talk to these people and go to England yeah. himself to do it, that seems totally plausible to me. But
1: I, I mean, I think it would, but I, I don't think Flo. I think Flo knows that he isn't realistic at this point. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know if he'd go all the way to London to 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 hear. Yeah, no, it's not happening. Well,
0: there are a couple other teams in London that he could talk to, for what it's worth. Uh, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, Chelsea, uh, and Hazard. Yeah, I mean, I, mean it- I, I don't know. I he may be going to London to to talk to these teams. That makes sense to me. That that makes a sense to me as a thing that you might do right now. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, In terms of me. like getting Harry Kane, I agree. I think it's unlikely. I will say though, I don't agree with Sajid your um, interpretation of Kane. I just, I don't think that. Um, I, I just don't see this. This is correct. I think Harry Kane is one of the things about him that everyone really likes is that he is a much more of a complete player than I think people seem to think. <laughs> yeah. Uh he also has those um you know, he's very much very good at, at, at you know, being a being a, a modern striker, a Benzema almost style and, and I bet he'd be great at Juego at, well, de Posicion. I mean he sort of plays it with Tottenham anyway, so yeah,
1: because Pochettino, Pochettino plays Juego de Posicion. It's not it's not like Pep, but it, it, it is Juego de Posicion. Like there are several interpretations for it. Um but he does play already in, in a similar system. So Sajid says kind of below the question, he says as justification, because with Lopetegi we should have the option of playing with the false nine and playing with the striker only w- and, and play with the striker only when we need to be more direct. For this, is for, for this, a Lewandowski or Rodrigo is perfect since an expensive option like Harry Kane will force us to play with the system with additional striker because of the price tag. And of course, we have Bale who can also play the striker rule if needed. So... I think he's kind of saying that
0: if he wants we need to be to play, able to bench whoever we bring in, I guess.
1: So I mean I'm I'm kind of confused here. So like with about the Lewandowski and Rodrigo point, so I'm just gonna address it both ways. So Sajid, if you're saying that they're more all round, I mean obviously that's not true. I mean Harry Kane is is one of the more all round forwards. I mean you you're looking at someone like Benzema and Suarez as like the the, the forwards that are more all-around. But if you're saying that if we want a traditional striker, those are preferable, I mean, I don't necessarily agree either. But I think because Harry Kane is not attainable anyway, I would prefer Lewandowski. And definitely I don't prefer Rodrigo over Harry Kane. I mean, they're not even in the same class of um of, of quality. Um, But I, I don't think Kane, like, like we were saying, Kane will not force us to play with this kind of traditional striker thing I mean he he can do he he started his career as a number 10 and he's kept those qualities as he's continued as and grown as a player and even if we were for example to play with a poacher or uh, a traditional forward it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I mean Costa has not been brilliant with Spain but he's been more than capable and he has scored goals goals when needed. Um and and Lopetegui hasn't benched him for anyone so
0: Mm. I don't. I, think, I, I don't. I, just, I think Kane would be fine. he would be fine, um, and he'd be great. I think actually, he'd be a. He's one of the few people out there who I actually think would be worth the the, the price tag right now. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, he says. He also says, "Well, I agree with you that we, if we don't get Mbappe or Neymar, we shouldn't buy anyone." I didn't. I mean, I don't know if I said that exactly. Um, but I. I mean, sort of believe that. I also think that if. I, I said that th- under the belief that it's going to be hard to get anyone else. I think Hazard is maybe the most likely and most you know, you know, just simply because he seems like he might be willing to have a have a meltdown about it. <laughs> unlike anyone, any of these other players, um, he says, "Will this send a negative message to the rest of football about our declining ability to complete blockbuster signings like before, especially with other teams' money, et cetera?" I um. No, I I don't think that's right. I I just I, I don't agree at all that uh, that Madrid have a problem with completing blockbuster signings. I think Madrid has done a fucking three-peat in the Champions League. And really, it's not like they – have they really needed any – I mean, like, they need people, but, like, have they really needed – this team is too deep, at, at least, at every position. And, like, I mean, it would have been great to add Mbappe last season. And he decided not to join the team. That's too bad, but Madrid – they're he they Madrid and Monaco had an agreement for Mbappe. That's just the that's just the way that it's gone down. And Mbappe chose to go to Paris. There's plenty of time for him to come to Madrid in the future. But that that would have been 187 plus million euros. So it's not like Madrid doesn't have that money. Also, this again just to reiterate, this club is extremely deep at these different positions. So, like, I I I, I don't think that Madrid needed to. Like, in maybe even quite the same way that, I mean, one could argue that they need to this year. So, just in terms of the excitement factor, bringing in a new striker and a new big uh, Galactico might be useful. But I don't think this is like one of the first times in a long time that Madrid has spent such a long time developing and building their system that they don't need. They don't need to go out and get a Galactico. Not really. They have one of the most, one of the deepest and youngest squads in Europe. So, uh, I don't know, Om, if you want to add anything.
1: Uh, I agree 100%. All
0: right, Alan Vong, um, one of our patrons asked us, um, I booked a holiday before La Liga schedule came out, and for fuck's sake, why why did it come out so late? And I'll be in Madrid during the second week of fixtures where Madrid are away. Um, Madrid are going to be in Girona, I guess, on the second week of fixtures after they play Itafe at home their way to Girona. Um, uh, What's the best... uh, Way to go about watching the game in Madrid while getting the best experience. Any help from uh, fellow Madridistas would be so. Perfect.
1: I mean, I assume there will be a watch party in at least more than one place. You know, with with uh, you know, there must be a bunch of fan groups around there. There must be like you know pubs or something. Yeah, you know, I, hey, I, I You I, can, you can go to the Bernabéu
0: and just go to one of the like the three or four pubs that are right by there if you want. Mm-hmm. That's a really good option. It's on the it's on the Castellano. You get to go to the stadium, do the tour, and then afterwards go in and watch the game at one of the pubs. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I that's I, it's not the same as watching
1: a live game, but that sounds awesome. I would take that.
0: Yeah. Um. So that's that's what I would say. If not, just there are going to be tons of pubs. If you really want to have one of those experiences, that's really in, really intense. You can look up the penas and there will be Peña watch parties that they will host at these pubs. So, um, you could do that too. Um, you know, that's another option. Let's see. Um, all right. So that's our, um, those are our patrons for this week. We have a couple of other one other questions that I think are worth, worth um, uh, that I think are worth talking about. Um, we already answered Adam,